Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1886, when Emily Dickinson was dying, at times she would allow her physician to examine her, but only from a distance. The physician would be seated in a room, and Emily Dickinson would be in the other room, and in between the rooms there was a door that was left slightly ajar. And Emily Dickinson would walk by that door, and that would be the physician's observation. The physician would have a glimpse of a dying woman passing by the crack of an open door. Now, now, after her death, of course, that door was thrown wide open, and when her private poems were published and people began to read what she had written and saw those letters, they saw the height and the depth of this remarkable American poet. But at the time, at the time, all that physician had was a glimpse of a dying woman passing by an opening in the door. I start with that image because, for me, that captures something of what is happening in our epistle reading this morning. We have a glimpse of a dying man. The Apostle Paul is dying. He writes, the time of my departure is now at hand. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now the Apostle Paul is in Rome. He is in prison. He is in the midst of a trial and he knows that he will die. And so at the end of his life, At the end of his ministry, at the end of this letter, the last letter to Timothy, he shows him a glimpse of a dying man. Now, now for us, of course, we have a throne wide open the door on the Apostle Paul. We have gathered together all of the letters of Paul that we know have. We have read them and studied them. Some of us have actually parsed every single word. <laughs> we have, have, I can examine his theology in Romans and Galatians. We can listen to how he wrote to troubled churches in Corinth and Thessalonica. We can read his captivity letters. You can open your Bible, turn to the very back where you've got those colored maps and you can take your finger and trace all of the missionary journeys of Paul. And not only that, but we have centuries, centuries of scholarship, thousands of people writing on the height and the depth and the breadth of the theological grasp of this man. To us, the door is wide open. But at the time, at the the time for Timothy, he had a glimpse of a dying man. He didn't have what we call the Bible. <laughs> he couldn't read this letter of Paul and compare it to all of his other letters and the letters of Peter and the letters of, of John and the four Gospels. He couldn't do all of that. He didn't have the centuries of scholarship. 
What he had was this letter, and at the end of this letter, the Apostle Paul barely opens the door and lets him see his spiritual father in Rome, in prison, a dying man. And strangely enough, the Apostle Paul did this because he wanted to encourage Timothy in the ministry. That's how he began. He says to him, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, because I, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The end of my time has come. I have finished the race. I have fought the fate. I have kept the faith. Therefore, you, you fulfill the ministry. So this glimpse of a dying man is to encourage another man in ministry. Well, since that's the case, I'd like to suggest that this morning we do two things. That we take a little bit of time to look through that barely open door to see this glimpse of a dying man. And then we take some time to reflect on how this word encourages us today on call day when some among us will be entering into the ministry. So those two things. Let's start with this uh, glimpse of a dying man. At first glance, it really doesn't seem to be all that encouraging. (laughs) I mean, after all, when you look at this, this is uh, a listing. I'm sure you got somewhat lost, a listing of the nuts and the bolts of practical ministry. Paul's talking about people and places and personal possessions. I, in fact, I could actually imagine the Apostle Paul coming to us today, and if he was here just scratching his head, scratching his head when he sees what we have as our Bible, I could hear him say, you mean this is the place, this is the place where you keep that story of God's call of our father Abraham? And we would say yes. And he'd say, this this is the place where you have that vision, that vision of Isaiah when he's in the temple and the angel comes with that glowing coal and touches his lips and he says, send me, Lord, send me. And we would say yes. And he says, and in that book, you have this? (laughs) When I told Timothy to bring me the cloak I left with Carpus and Troas, (laughs) and we would say, yes. It's filled with the grunt work of ministry, isn't it? He remembers a cloak he left with Carpus and Troas and asked Timothy to bring it and to bring the books and the parchments. He's thinking about people those who have been a burden to him, Alexander the coppersmith, he's opposed our message, and those who have been a blessing, Luke, he stayed with me, and Mark, bring Mark, because he's useful to my ministry, and he's thinking about places, places where God is at work, Titus is in Dalmatia, and Crescens is in Galatia, and he sent Tychicus to Ephesus, he's thinking about the people, the places, the personal possessions, all of the nuts and bolts of the ministry, and yet... When you read it closely, something else happens. I don't know if you caught it. When we first see the Apostle Paul walking by that door, he's talking to Timothy. But when he gets to the end, he's talking to God. 
When we first see him, he's all immersed in the practical details of the ministry, but in the end, he's lost in praise, in doxology to God. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As he walks past that door. What the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse of is the glory of the mission of God all wrapped up in the grunt work of ministry. Think about it. As soon as he starts talking about his dying, the next thing you know, he's talking about his resurrection. As soon as he mentions that trial where he knows he will be put to death, the next thing you know, he's talking about that final judgment when he will receive that crown of righteousness. As soon as he remembers that everyone has deserted him in the ministry, the next thing you know, he says, but the Lord, the Lord stood by me. The Lord strengthened me so that through me, the fullness of the gospel could be preached and all the Gentiles could hear it. At the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, at the end of this letter, he has a glimpse of just the beginning of the mission of God. He opens the door so you can see another dying man who is now risen and who now rules, and who now is involved in his father's mission to bring all of the ends of the earth into his father's kingdom. We see the glory of God in the grunt work of the ministry. We see this Jesus who came out of the Father's love for a fallen world, who lived, died, rose again, and now is seated at the right hand of God. We see him sending his spirit, his people, in mission to the ends of the earth. And that vision is glorious because this Jesus who stood by Paul, this Jesus who stood by Timothy, this Jesus who stood by Mark, this Jesus stands by you. His death, his resurrection, his rule, his reign, they're all for you so that you can be part of God's never-ending love for a fallen world. Once you were not the people of God, but now you are. Once you were a child of darkness, but now you're a child of light. And being part of that people of God, you are involved in your Father's mission. Once you were an emergency medical technician, and now tonight, you're going to be a pastor. Once you were an engineer, and now you are going to do the work of an evangelist. Once you were a student struggling in college, and now you're going to be a deaconess intern. God, Jesus, ruling, reigning, bringing us all into that glorious mission in the grunt work of ministry. That's what we get in this glimpse of the Apostle Paul. So I said we'd we'd talk about that glimpse and we'd we'd reflect on how it might be encouraging for us today. I think at first glance, this is one of those texts on the feast day of St. Mark that you might leave behind. (laughs) 
I mean, after all, you've got that beautiful passage from Isaiah, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news. And then you have that vision at the end of Mark with all of those spectacular things that are happening. And, and in between those, you've got this letter from Paul talking about a coat that he left somewhere in Alexander and people and places. It'd be very easy to leave this behind. After all, I mean, what is Mark in this? Mark is buried, right? He's buried in the grunt work of ministry. And yet I would ask you to hold on to this text, to walk away with it today, because sometimes there are certain texts that really only grow in meaning after you are already in the ministry. I remember call day, and what I remember about it is that I did not know how to respond. There was absolutely too much going on. I remember that I was nervous all day, <laughs> and I remember that I had people praying for me, my family, my friends. I, 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 members of my home congregation actually came because they wanted to hear where I was going. And I remember sitting in Winnicott Auditorium and listening as all of those men were sent and all of those names and places and having a glimpse of this mission of God. And yet at the same time, I remembering hearing those names and thinking to myself, man, I'm glad I didn't go there. <laughs> and it, there's just too much. You don't know how to respond on a day like that but I did know how to respond several weeks later. I was talking to the church secretary. This was after uh, I had done all of these other things. I had written my formal letter of acceptance. I had talked to the president of the congregation. I had met with the district officials. I had planned the date of the move. I had scheduled the ordination service, found the preacher who was going to preach at the ordination, sent out the invitations, and I was talking to the church secretary. I think we were talking about details, spell-checking the names at the end of that worship folder. And at the very end of that conversation, as an afterthought, she said, oh, by the way, pastor, by the way, pastor, I was wondering if you could say a prayer for Nancy. Now, Nancy was the daughter of one of our members who was a shut-in, and Nancy herself actually was shut-in. And this wasn't a crisis. Nobody was dying. Nancy was just going to have a blood test, a routine blood test for her diabetes that week on Wednesday. And, and uh, her mother had called and wanted to know if somebody could say a prayer. And so the secretary, at the very end of our conversation, just came into her and she said, Pastor, would you say a prayer for Nancy? And I remember that day. It was my first prayer request. But I don't remember it because it was my first prayer request. I remember it because all of the sudden, it was no longer about me. I was so tired of it being about me. My gifts, my talents, my profile, my call, my ordination, my service, my people I'm inviting. So sick of it being about me. And on that day, the secretary opened the door just a little bit, and I saw that it wasn't about me at all. It was about my Lord and a daughter of his named Nancy. And somebody wanted a prayer. 
Now, now, I mean, it's not as grand as the vision of Isaiah in a temple and an angel with burning coals. I'll admit that. But to me, to me, in that voice of my secretary, it was God talking and saying, I have a child who wants a prayer. Is there anybody who can do that? And I knew what to say. Here am I. Send me. Send me. I saw for that moment the glory of God wrapped up in the grunt work of the ministry. And the minute you open that door, you find your calendar filled with prayer requests and hospital visits and council meetings, all of that grunt work. And yet all of that glory of the mission of God. So I'd encourage you to to hold on to this text. Because there will be a day when that door opens for you. It may be this year, it may be next year, maybe in the future, but that door will open. And you'll have just a glimpse. And if you hold on to this vision of this dying man, if you hold on to this vision of the glory in the grunt work of ministry, when that door opens, you'll know what to do. You'll push wide open that door for a lifetime of dying in the grunt work of this glorious ministry. And you will say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Amen.